0: Thank you for tuning into the Melanated Scenes podcast. I'm Tiara, and I'm here to give it to you straight up, raw, no filter. Welcome everybody to the Melanated panel discussion. Today we're going to be covering the Black perspective, the Black American perspective in America. And so let's just jump right into it. Um, Is race an issue in the U.S.?
1: Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yes, it is
2: of
3: course so okay. and
0: since you guys are saying definitely it is an issue in the united states uh are black people specifically treated differently in the u.s and if so how so
3: All jump at once <laughs> <laughs> um
4: well since nobody's saying anything um the question was how are they treated differently
0: yeah so specifically black people
4: i can give an example of how i was treated differently for example going in a store and being followed or always Uh, trying to get asked some questions like do you need
2: help did i ask for help uh, yes i i I can i follow up with what she said um uh that has been a particular issue for me at least i would say within this past year especially being in seattle with with going to, to stores and being um, and being followed, and first going into the store and knowing that I've been immediately profiled has been um, very difficult. And I speak to managers and general managers, and nothing seems to um seems to change. So I'm hoping that with all of the protests that are happening and uh, changes that are happening with discussions about defunding the police. Is that uh, that the conversation about racial profiling in um, retail shopping while black? That that is addressed, uh, and the reason why I said that is because oftentimes people who are in law enforcement, when they leave their career, they go into retail doing security, mm-hmm. and so it's the, the it's the same cycle, but you know, in a in a business, and that's not fair.
3: Um, I was just gonna add off just racial injustice in the job working in Mm -hmm. this is kind of like just what i I experienced it's just when you go sorry you go and work at jobs you can see the 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 racial difference of who's in who's in power versus who's not in power so just Mm -hmm. even going into like a big corporation switching to working for the county you can just clearly see that There's, you have to work way harder as a black person just to, even as a black woman, you have to work way harder just to get the the jobs that you know you can do, but you don't, they don't give it to you. So you have to work way harder to get that manager position or a chief position and versus you see somebody else like a a white male, they will just get it because they know somebody and you know for a fact they're not suitable for that position. So that's just my basis of what I see just working in generally in Seattle too.
5: Yeah, to to piggyback off of that, um, I recently held a discussion with my team, so I decided that because there were so many of my teammates that were reaching out to me in the last two to three weeks around, um, you know, I know it's been difficult, you know, in the U.S., and, you know, I'm really the only Black American person in across the entire U.K. and Ireland. So everyone's kind of looking to me for, you know, what's, what do you think? What's your perspective? What am I, you know, what's my playbook? What is my plan of action? Give me the top three things I need to do. And so I had um, a few people reach out to me a few weeks ago saying, look, you know, I really just want to have a one-to-one conversation with you for my own knowledge and for my own personal growth and so i decided to widen that conversation across my team which is a team of about 60 people and so out of that you know i had about 35 40 join a call that i did about two weeks ago and one comment that i made on the call because 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 someone who was you know a white british male said you know he basically asked me he goes well, you know has your journey been like coming into Um, Because I know for me, I accept my white privilege, and I know that my journey to get to where I am has been probably a heck of a lot easier for me than it's been like for you. And a comment that I made was, you know, I grew up with my mother as a single parent in Oakland, California. And so we had a lot of different, you know, what people would term to be like obstacles or challenges, you know, or gaps that we had to kind of, you know, mitigate or jump through. And one thing that my mother always instilled for me since I was a little girl, I mean, since I was like four or five years old, is the world is not always going to be fair. People are not always going to look at you and say that Bria is so brilliant, she's beautiful, she's this, she's that, and then account for the fact that, you know, she's capable. Um, You will always work twice as hard to get half as far. And that's just going to be your life. And you need to, at a young age, accept that for what it is. So to answer his question was, I've obviously had a lot of, you know, racial injustice and discrepancies and things that I felt like, um, you know, made it very tough for me to get where he is today, even though he's 10 years younger than what I am. And we're in the same position, but I absolutely have had to work twice as hard to get to where I am. Um, so my mother didn't lie. <laughs> you know it is what it is, and we had that same conversation just two weeks ago, my mother and I, and uh, even in my thirty four year old self, I had to sit back and you know we had that same conversation from when I was six to seven years old, and she said, Yes, you know, you will always have to be in this position, um but don't take any kind of like you know negative connotation behind it. you know, it's just kind of the way the world is set up for.." you which is very you know disheartening to say the least right nice.
0: so um from that point i wanted to ask you guys uh do any of you guys remember the first time that someone pointed out that you were black or the first time you knew you were black because I, I hear a lot of people uh, talk about this or people who grow up in predominantly white areas where they don't necessarily know or think that they're black until a kid at school or something tells them, oh, I don't want to play with you because you're you're black or because you're A nigger or whatever Mm -hmm. whatever word that they learned from hearing their parents say it at home um and then they and then they realize okay well i guess i am different now so do you guys remember the first time you knew you were black i don't i don't have any recollection of that because i feel like i've just always known that um but i'd want to hear from other people's point of view like if they have experienced that like not knowing that they were different until somebody pointed out whether it's a kid or an
2: adult or any someone that you know
1: yeah. Um, um,
3: go ahead
2: uh, well I was gonna say uh, I always knew uh was cognizant of my blackness, but when I realized when uh, I, when I realized that I was going to be treated differently I was um was when I was in um elementary school, probably about um, i think fifth or sixth grade, and uh, we were going to a an event. My mother always had us in um, anything educational. She's a, a school teacher. I'm from Virginia, and so we were going to an event um, with a bunch of um, younger um, Black students going to an, an HBCU tour, and the bus that we were on stopped in this um, small town, Suffolk, Virginia, and um, so we were trying to get some um, some water, and uh, we stopped by a store and uh, within, I would say three minutes, there was a group of white men who were in in a truck and wanted to see what us children were doing, standing in front of this store. And, um, we asked about getting some water and he, I would never forget that he said in this, this thick Southern accent, that there's no water in the whole county. And he called Mm -hmm. me ma'am. Right call me ma'am, I was like 10, ma'am. And uh, so, number one, that shows that they have no, uh, uh, are not cognizant at all of how old we are. Uh, when they perceive us, when they see us, they perceive us as being much older uh, than who we really are. And the fact that they even show up so quickly to a store with just children standing trying to get some water and could have really done some, some damage had um, the adults who were on the bus not come and um, gotten us and taken us back, um, back to the bus until we waited for someone to repair the, the truck. But that's when I, I realized that I would be treated differently, even no matter what age I was.
0: Mm, that's crazy thanks for sharing that Alicia. i have a question because you you mentioned that he called you ma'am and then he didn't know how old you are so i always hear people say that oh black kids are perceived as older than what they are do you guys actually believe that it's they perceive that people are older or that they want to do that in order for certain things to work in their way so if they were to uh, I don't know, commit an act of violence toward you. And then they can make up the lie that, well, I thought this mm-hmm. was an adult when mm-hmm. in actuality, you know, for a fact that this is a child. And yeah, I know it, at some time, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead.
2: I was going to say that that is, that is real. And um, I can't remember the study, um, but they looked uh, surveyed police officers and uh, showed them um, images of, um, of children and asked the, what they thought the age of that child, um, different races. And on average, the, the black children, specifically the males were, uh, were um, said to be at least three to five years older than what wow. they actually were, mm-hmm. which to me makes sense when, the, uh, when Tamir Rice yeah. was, um, was shot and killed and uh, when we see our children and you know a 12 year old i mean they especially if you talk to them long enough you know that yeah. they're, they're children 12. you know they're not an adult right so, goofy
4: uh, as can be
2: right and, <laughs> uh, and so the and the same thing happens with um with uh, law enforcement and, and people in general that when they um when they see our children that they are perceived to be much older And the things that you would expect from a 17-year-old, you cannot expect from from someone who is 11 and 12.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Alicia, in that study, did they say why they perceive the kids as older, the Black children as older? Uh, Did they go into detail there? I'm I'm just curious. I'm wondering what is making them think that they are older than what they are outside of height. I know some kids are mm -hmm. a lot taller, but outside of height, uh, what is making them feel like the child may or may not be... Three
2: to five years older than what they actually are uh, uh, number one a lack of connection to the community mm-hmm. and uh, and not being familiar with who we are as um, as a people uh, the other one was that they're uh, sometimes uh, relying on a myth of superhuman strength of um, mm-hmm. of blacks mm-hmm. and um, being um, muscular in, in build and it's basically relying upon relying upon stereotypes all of, of right. what they perceived they were all they were all stereotypes okay as hmm. soon as i find that study I'm, I'm going to i'll share it with you and please I'll do find it while, while yeah. we're discussing
0: okay um does anybody else have uh, an example when they first found out that they're black or maybe that they will be treated differently because they are black
1: Um, I can share. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Um, I would say, you know, being the complexion that I am, always having to explain to kids that I have two Black parents, and no matter, like, what you say, I'm going to say that, oh, no, I'm Black. And I can remember these experiences from, like, first grade on when I went to public school because all of my preschool, um, my parents were intentional about putting me and my older sister in schools around Black kids. We had very Black experiences. Um, but from first grade on, I can remember just always having to defend on the playground. Like it was a topic that I wanted to talk about and it wasn't kids just kind of forcibly talk about it. Um, but the thing for me, when I realized, you know, kind of what Briel was saying is that this is kind of how the world works. Uh, because where my parents are from, my parents are from deep East Texas. They're from Jasper. And so I remember in 1998, when James Byrd Jr. was killed and uh, drugged by a white supremacists. Um, and why that stuck so close for me is because the road where this actually occurred is the road where I remember growing up learning how to ride horses. So that was very familiar and it hit very close to home. Um, so I knew from then on, even as a child and processing what that looked like, because you know, the cases take a while. And times like this, you know, they're reliving it. We knew what Sundown Town was, you know, way before um, people have to explain it. You know, we're talking about now Vider, Texas, and now there was a Black Lives Matter march. Um, people who are from Deep East Texas and their parents who are from these places, you know, that's a place that you just keep on rolling. You don't get yeah. thirsty. You don't have to use the bathroom. You just keep running. Right. Mm-hmm. And we learned that from an early age. until
3: did you have something that you wanted to say oh yeah I was just going to share a story so like um I guess the question is I always knew I was black but to know that it was a problem to other people was like when I was a young age so like probably like nine years old we were playing we went to play like we played a lot of white schools and it was mostly the parents that were the problem it wasn't the children it was always the parents so we were playing playing basketball they're screaming nigger in the in the um audience all through the whole game then when we get back to our bus somebody spray painted the whole entire bus nigger they like um broke the windows came on the bus and was like screaming and acting crazy so we had to like the teachers and the coaches had to like fight, kind of like push them off the bus yeah and then like think about it because I'm like I'm from a diverse community I've always been around African, Mexican, all kinds of people. So it's like, oh, it's normal to us. But when you go and play the communities that only you only see white people, it was just like, oh, they don't like how we, they're afraid of us because of how we look, but all we do is when, we just here to play sports, we're just here to have fun. And we're only nine years old, it doesn't matter about that. So so then I guess that's the day I was like, okay, um, I know I'm black, I know it's always been a problem, but this is what I'm gonna have to face. And I guess that's where realization was in that prospect, prospect. And
0: so, Chantel, were these, like, parents who were getting yes. on the bus doing parents, this
3: stuff? Parents, like, wow. grown, like, 50, 40 years old. And, like, um, of course, you know, as a child, just like us, we learn from our parents. So whatever our parents feel and hate, we're right. going to feel and hate the same way. So I feel like a lot of children, they, they hate people because of what they heard from their parents. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I guess it transpired down to the children, too, because, of course, they were, you know, They're like, to them, it's like they they felt like it's normal to do what their parents are doing because they see their people that they look up to do it. So it was parents, like grown, grown people, like some old people, grown women, grown men. It was crazy. Do you remember like
4: what city that was in? Edenville.
3: Yeah. I knew it was something (laughs) like
4: that because... (laughs) Every time we went to go play basketball out in um like Snohomish County, that would happen. Like playing, I think the school was called Squim. Yep,
3: we played Squim. Yeah, we played Squim. Was bad. They had to stop. We had to stop going there. They like wouldn't let us go there no more.
4: Yeah. So yeah,
3: I never really had
4: an experience that made me knew that I was gonna be treated differently, but because like you said, you grow up black. You already know you're black, your parents already give you a warning. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Like, I don't even remember learning anything about it, but you know Just already,
0: who? right? And I guess and it's I from, you know, the and I was gonna say, I think that's probably because mom and dad told us. That's why I said, I don't remember, right. Like, right. When the first time was, but I think it's just because it happened so early on that we just were forewarned before we even got a chance to go out in the world to figure it out for ourselves.
4: Mm -hmm. Right, and back then when we were growing up in the Seattle area, for people who do not know, it was very diverse
1: Mm -hmm. compared Mm -hmm. to what it is right
4: now. I don't know what this is.
1: This is completely different.
4: So, like, the racism (laughs) is was not an issue in the Seattle area, but on outskirt areas.
1: definitely
4: yeah. happened like when we moved down to Vancouver, Washington that's the first time I got suspended from school. I was mm. fighting somebody because they called me a nigger at the lunch table so um for me that was my first experience being called that but when we lived in Seattle Federal Way area, okay. there was no issues with that. Yeah. There was always black people around, Mexicans, uh Samoans, oh, Pacific States. Islander people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everybody mm was always here. And when I went to school, I was not the only black kid in my class type of thing. Yeah, so me too. I never really experienced that until we moved outside of the Metro Seattle area
5: yeah
0: yeah, uh, what you just talked about also reminded me when uh we moved south to the Spanaway area and i remember that that one kid that that one kid that was on the bus that was doing uh so you guys we were on the bus going home from school and he was doing like monkey noises and calling us niggers or whatever and my sister also beat up this boy (laughs) white boy on the bus
4: (laughs) but oh and so that's another racism issue i was the only one suspended from school from that like Mm -hmm they had security waiting for me when we pulled up to the school like in middle school
0: right so he was the aggressor and the person calling someone a racial slur however she was suspended from school for protecting me and her from a racist Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
6: well the question is always like what did you do you know to you (laughs) you, it comes first oh what did you do that provoke them or set them off you know it's never like looking at all pictures um, right. I mean, I, like I would say for myself, like, so, I mean, I sit in a unique position cause I'm a transracial adoptee. And so for me, I was raised by white parents and, and all white town, except, <laughs> well, there was Hispanics there. Um, but, but for myself, like I was just far enough apart in age from my sister that we never were in the same school. Cause our school was always like, Oh, this year we're going to have middle school and high school blend together. Oh, no, nope, next year we're not. So like I, we were always in different schools. Um, just because of our two-year age gap. And, but it was something that I was always aware of. Um, just, you know, I think like for me, one thing was like sports and people like, oh, it's just like gonna be a basketball star. Except for growing up for me, I was a competitive figure skater. Like, mm-hmm. yes, I was, you know, tall and lean, but basketball was not my sport. I was a figure skater. Um, but my, I'm, I mean, like, I remember my mom, like always telling me, because people would always just be questioning like, oh, are you going to get enrolled in the team? Are you going to do this? And my mom's like, no, she's going to do what she wants to do. Right. If she wants to play basketball, cool. If she doesn't, she doesn't. Like, why is there, like, some assumption that because she's this Black woman, here she is going to be playing these sports? Um,
5: <laughs> and,
6: and then I think it's also very true, the piece around, like, four white children that come to school and what their family is maybe rooted in. I've had real mixed feelings, you know, with a lot of schools trying to speak out right now against everything that's going on. And I was just like, if you want to do that, though, then you also be, have to be providing, like, safe spaces at your school. To really educate your students, especially mm-hmm. white students who we know are going back home to a racist racist environment, mm-hmm. um, you know uh I, like I think that's just like big is that people need to be like, okay, yeah, we know that their parents are probably racist up to the you can't you know say how high at home, but yet yeah, you want to change a child's like demeanor or the way they approach kids like that's just it's not it's not the same, um you know, and yeah, I mean, maybe kids hear it from their parents or hear it from each other but then it's, it's, I feel like the schools are not also correcting it and being like that's absolutely not okay mm-hmm. like they just want to turn a blind eye to like if they weren't in the room when they heard it or didn't see it then oh no, it didn't happen they probably didn't right. say what you said they said like let's just move on mm-hmm. you know okay. it's, it's, yeah
0: so since we're talking about like being a child. Have you guys ever had a teacher or maybe a college professor or someone someone who is an educator and you're the student um, say anything that was something similar to a microaggression? toward you because you were a Black person or say, oh, well, maybe you don't need to try to take that class. You know, that might be a little too tough for you or, you know, something of this, or basically trying to discourage you from being a smart person because they're downplaying your your abilities because they have some type of assumption about Black people. Have you guys
5: experienced that before in school? Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Mm. So I recently... Told the story to my team about how my high school you know journey was. So again, you know, born and raised in Oakland, California. And uh, the school district in Oakland um, was then and still is and has historically been um, underserved. You know, kind of underfunded. You know, so my mother decided that she wanted me to go to school in Alameda, California, which is not that far from Oakland. So I switched over to you know, or moved to a, to high school um, there and did my freshman year there. And uh, it was very apparent to me, even at 14 years old, coming into the school that. Um, You know, it was just as bad as as Oakland was. You know, we didn't have any textbooks. We were getting A's just for showing up to class. Um, I was skipping school. Um, The law in California is that you need to be in school 180 days for you to be able to pass, you know, that grade. And when it was all said and done, I think I was in school 90 days because it was so easy to skip class and still get the A's. And so uh, my mother quickly realized that, you know, we need to pull her out of this school. And, you know, we ended up moving to Brentwood, California, which at the time I, I deemed to be white suburbia. I enrolled in a school there. I went from a school that was 98% Black to a school that was 2% Black. And that's about one in every 60, 70 kids, to put that into context. So I enter into this high school in my sophomore year. And of course, course you know i wanted to be in the honors classes the advanced placement classes and i was told time and time again in that three years that i was there that oh you know this is too difficult for you um you're not ready for this uh you don't need to do this you know you just take this class instead and uh, it even went as far as to i had teachers that were questioning my intellectual aptitude Um, They were assuming because I came from that school district that um, my IQ wasn't where it needed to be. And I was asked and told to and made to take um, tests to, you know, determine my intellectual aptitude, you know, to even be in that school, let alone those classes. Um, So I had teachers that said, you don't belong teachers that have actually blocked me from enrolling in those courses they would go to administration and say you know i know she's going to try to get into ap calculus no she needs to be back in geometry even though that was a course i took two years Years ago right so definitely
2: uh that that speaks to uh the issue that is happening in our community with um believability mm-hmm. and where, where you're having to um constantly prove your worth and your value whether you are in a uh, grade school whether you're at, at work whether you're going to the um the hospital the doctor's office when something is, is happening with you, and um, people not valuing our, um, what we say is happening. And there right. has to be a shift in, in not with us, but a shift with them um, that when we say that something is happening, it's happening. And it's not anything that's being made up. Mm-hmm. We're not formulating uh, these uh, scenarios and scenes in our mind. Uh, it's happening. When a woman is pregnant and she is saying that Something is wrong. Something is happening, and the doctor should believe her when she comes into the office to say this is something is not right. And that I believe that is that is definitely why uh, we are seeing more uh, more issues happening, especially in healthcare. But I don't know how I got on that, but but yeah, believability. <laughs> yeah.
0: Anybody else have a story they can share as far as school is concerned? Okay, well we'll move it along then. Still in school, but what about in college? For anyone who's gone off to college, have you had any experiences there? And outside of like a, a an educator trying to deter you from taking a class, have you ever been the only Black person in your classes in college? Or were you treated a certain way because you were at a predominantly white school and People, you know the white kids are saying certain stuff that they think are cool but it's actually racist as fuck like <laughs> has anybody <laughs> had any of these kind of situations happen
3: to them uh in plu you know that we were there was only six black people in the whole entire college and that's in tacoma and parkland so that was that's like a culture shock and it was just you you just had a source and figure out things that you know, find the teachers that were willing to help you because they're not all willing to help you. They'll let you right. fall by the wayside versus you see the other teacher reach out to other students and make sure that they could get that help and make sure they get that good grade. So I don't know. When I went to Pacific Lutheran, that was just too much for me. Like, to be only six Black black people, uh, you can count them on one hand. But I was like five when I went there. Mm-hmm. And to see that I wasn't getting the help that I needed, and it just that's the only thing they didn't there was no ad, administrator they were more like I guess I'll call them like liberal like passive versus in your face so it was like the the passive racism where it's like oh we see that you're there but it just we don't you're like nobody you're like you're like a wall and we're just gonna walk past you we don't care about your education you have to whatever you need or whatever you want you have to reach for it, and you have to Pick up your boots by the wayside. They love to see that. <laughs> <laughs> the
5: bootstraps. Pick
3: yourself by the bootstraps. Bootstraps. <laughs> <laughs> Pick up them bootstraps.
5: <laughs> up them bootstraps. <laughs> Pull yourself up by your bootstraps.
0: And make it <laughs> Anybody else have a story? I also went to PLU. That's why Chantel's like, "Oh uh, yeah, PLU. Um, I was probably the only I feel like every once in a while I had a class where there was one other black person in the class and it was always the other black girl. I don't think I've had another class. I was a black guy uh, in the class with me and oh, man. nobody, I would say I wouldn't have, there was not overt racism, but there was just, you're not one of us kind of thing where people yeah. never even talk to you. Yep. Um, and I was glad that I didn't live on campus. I was a commuter <laughs> student because I literally hadn't met anyone except for one other white girl that was actually cool during my orientation that I'm still friends with now, uh, but outside of her, no one nope. I talked to on campus every everything was very surface level and they act like you're cool while you're there if you spoke to them, but they would not speak to you uh, people that you've had classes with since your freshman year you're now in your senior year and they will walk past you on campus like they've never seen you in their life like mm-hmm. this kind of stuff like, yeah, like basically like you don't exist yes like your wall. <laughs> that's exactly how it was. So I wouldn't say I had anything overt, like, oh, you know, call, being called racial slurs or a teacher saying something specifically to me that's like trying to deter me from uh, taking a certain class, but just basically the the invisible
3: part was mm-hmm. to me a big thing. Same. And I lived on campus, so I, I got it all the time, 24 hours a day. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, I I was gonna say I really didn't experience it from educators I think like the biggest thing that I got from an educator was I studied broadcast journalism and our cohort was really small um, but there were two other black women there so I never felt alone Mm -hmm. until it became my week to anchor our show we had a pretty extensive broadcast studio all the resources in the world and the day before um i was gonna anchor my professor looked at me and was like oh well i don't know what we're gonna do with your hair Um, Mm. and that was when I had first gone natural. Um, everybody had their, you know, teeny weeny afros or medium sized afros. Everybody's real cute together. Um, (laughs) dorm rooms just covered in products. But from that moment on, I just realized like, yo, this is not a career that I want. So that kind of shaped, you know, even what I would do. I was like, this is a conversation that I'm going to have. And not being somebody's, you know, token black person, I don't even want to continue down this career path, you know, I want to be mm. doing something that I love, not arguing about how I present to you. Or if this market doesn't want this type of black woman, then I wouldn't have a job. Um, and one of my friends who's in that career has experienced that herself as well. Um, so that, I would say that's one of the main things I got within the classroom. Uh, But outside of the classroom, it was kind of the Wild West. We knew the differences in uh, fraternities and sororities. Um, We knew that those were not spaces for us. You know, we had Mm -hmm. fraternities and sororities throwing all kinds of parties, wearing blackface in the year 2010, you know, like wearing blackface, doing cross-the-border parties, like their racism knew no bounds. Um, So it was everybody who was not black, you know. It got to the point to where that area, uh, um, even throwing bleach bombs at Black students. What? Um, yeah. And so uh, it, it just you know, it just knew no bounds, you know, and kind of with believability as well, you know, we had a few black administrators on campus, you know, going hard for us. But other than that, there's really no support, you know, we would have our campus police department and say, well, technically, that's off campus. So that's the city police department who has to deal with that. Um, And we see we have no support from them across the board. Yeah. Yeah. So I, also, when I was in school, affirmative action. Um, I was in the Black Student Alliance. Um, we had an NAACP, LDF supporting us to write an amicus brief with several other um, campuses. But Abigail Fisher, who challenged affirmative action and had the Koch brothers funding her, that came out of my university. And really, she just wasn't good enough to get in. Um, and so it came to a point where you know we we're taking time away to go and you know fight for this for away from our studies because this is important not just for our university but for the entire world so that's the climate that we're in and that brings us to today um where uh the biggest thing in the news is that our athletes wrote a letter of support saying hey get the rest of these buildings that are named after confederates we don't want this here anymore Mm -hmm. change the school song and all these other demands that have you know, just being in the South and racism, um, and people act like it's novel, but really it's been going on on the college campus. Mm-hmm.
6: And tokenism, I feel like, is big. I mean, not just in college, but also like in the employment field, too. Mm-hmm. Do you want to expand, elaborate, Deshauna? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I mean, for my own self at my job, so I work as a um I work as a foster care social worker for a nonprofit organization in Seattle, and um we have a director that's an African American woman, transracial adoptee, and I definitely feel like the leadership level looks at it like oh you know we're doing well we're bringing in diversity because we have this you know I mean we do have I guess two directors that are people of color, um but. I'm like, that's not enough. But yet, and you also have like Black employees that have complained about the way that we're treated within the work that we do. Because for me, I work on a direct um, service level. So I work directly with foster parents and caregivers. And that's a whole issue in itself. I won't even go into that. (laughs) But like recently, a question was asked about doing a training for foster parents. And like right away, the comment was like, it was like, oh, we'll just have a director do it. We'll just have her do it. Because Of course, like her as a Black woman and a transracial adoptee, of course, she knows all when having conversations around what it's like to be Black right now and how our, you know, caregivers who are transracially parenting can speak to their kids about what's going on. And like, I like quickly responded in the group being like, hey, you know, there's three other Black staff who could easily have been asked or even proposed the question of like, are you interested in doing this versus just being like, Oh, let's just pick that one person, um, and and then and then I felt mixed for myself because this person has been open and stating in spaces of predominantly Black spaces that she doesn't feel that she fits in with the Black culture, mm-hmm. um, you know. And then I and that's the thing in itself of being a transracial adoptee, especially if you're transracial adopted and raised by white parents. Like a lot of adoptees do feel that way, so I won't take that away. But it's just like, when someone does say that, I feel like there needs to be, you know, pause and question given a little bit to, okay, well then let's make sure we also hear from other voices that maybe don't feel that way. Um, But yeah, I just definitely feel like she's a tokenized person in our organization. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, and like, when I tried to ask about it, I definitely was asking it in like the sense of racism. And the piece behind that, because, the, you know, any place where there's racism, sexism, um, like tokenism is probably said to exist. And one of my co-workers really quickly was like, oh, well, what about are you asking this like in a historical sense? Are you asking this about in, like a psychosocial sense? And I was like, why are you going into all this extra? I'm just specifically asking, do you think tokenism exists in the organization? and you know luckily like a couple people did answer but a good like 50 people looked at it and probably only six people responded and i was just like oh okay thanks you guys are showing yourselves too by not responding or saying anything
5: because they didn't, um, they didn't have the politically correct response right? <laughs> <laughs> right yeah i mean i know i was you
6: disrespected by a family that i work with and i feel like had it been her the agency would have been all over responding but for me it was four months before the agency finally even reached out to the family because there was so much concern about their feelings and how they would react and if they would be able to take in the information. But I was just like, as a black person, we sit in uncomfortability every single day, if not every second. Mm-hmm. And so like, no, you have to acknowledge this and also acknowledge it to how it could look to even a black person against another black person. And not that it should be a fight against one another, but like how come she gets to be tokenized as though she's the voice of all reason. Yeah. Here I am a black person too. And I'd like not even the adoptee piece around having conversations. Cause that's not what it's about. It's not just having conversations with a parent parenting a black child who's white sitting here being like, Oh, let's just have a conversation. Cause I think it's traumatizing. I mean, I like these conversations, even if you're having them with another person of color or a black person, I feel like it's traumatizing talking about what's going on because it's not new for any of us
3: mm-hmm. and so it can be
6: re-traumatizing to still be having all this i like oh you know how do you approach somebody how do you speak with someone how do you code switch because i mean i know i'm i've been like probably a victim of code switching myself and doing it and i'm like no but see me yes i may be able to simulate well in a white space but i'm black
0: Right. You um, know what else I find interesting is that they chose the woman who doesn't even really identify with her black background mm-hmm. to be the to be the spokesperson to talk about diversity or whatever the case may be. Like I'm sorry that's but that's a joke why she already. Was chosen.
3: That's why she was chosen. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I think that's
6: that's white people feel comfortable around that and don't see what I honestly see as a real sad thing. I feel like I feel heartbroken for a, a, a black person to tell me because of how they were raised they feel more comfortable adopting a white child than a black child because they don't feel like they know Mm. their own black culture Mm. like to me those words are scary but I don't think necessarily a white person looks at it that way or sees it Oh yeah, I'm sorry.
1: That's
0: that's a whole different thing, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. no, I I definitely agree. Like if you're telling other people that they should be a part of these programs and learn this and learn that, you should also be learning it for yourself too. How are you going to be the lead when about uh, in a, in a subset or a, a segment of something that you know nothing about? Whether you're mm-hmm. seen as black or not, if you know nothing about, about the black experience or you wanna act like you don't know, um, how are you trying to teach other people about the black experience and how to raise a black mm-hmm. child? That's crazy.
6: Mm-hmm. Right, yeah.
1: That's- I'm really curious about how, when you mentioned tokenism in the workplace, how all of these newly created diversity and inclusion roles are gonna play out. Um, because, Mm -hmm. you know, we see all these people, director of this, director of Mm -hmm. diversity and inclusion, it's a black person. And it seems like for the first time we're having a seat at the table, there are no black distinguished engineers, but we can have a black DNI person, you know, and I'm looking ahead to see, you know, what's going to happen in 10 years when all these quotas are met? Are they going to determine, oh, we just don't need this anymore?
6: Mm -hmm. Like,
1: what's going to happen then?
6: But even then...
5: Oh, no, go right ahead, go right ahead.
1: I was gonna
6: say, even then, I feel like it's hard though, because like so at my organization, we're trying to hire for a DI director. Mm-hmm. And sadly, unfortunately, I think it's partly because it's not a full time position, maybe why we didn't get the best turnout. But when it kind of came down to it, the people who were like the most interested in the, the applicants that we got are two white women. And but then some of the staff are saying because it is a predominantly all white organization that it may be easier for a white person to hear about this from another white person you know yeah, I, I don't know I don't like I want to hear that I was mixed on it <laughs> because I definitely I mean because I definitely am like I don't want to hear a white person tell me about the black experience or exactly to educate me about the black experience but I also get probably at the end of the day like I don't really need this for me you need it for you exactly. but but it's but it's true like it's hard like I I I want to have a DEI director that is a person of color, you know, and not a white person. But I've also kind of opened up my ears a little bit to listening that it's true. Maybe a white person needs to hear from a white person. Uh,
5: Ask Rachel. Yeah, I definitely, I'm so, oh my goodness. I am so on the fence. Not even on the fence. I I just don't feel that, you know, like, well, with you know corporation work for today you know everybody's just kind of in a lot of these big tech companies and larger corporations in america are starting to you know kind of action themselves like you Uh know we need to do something and it's very reactionary and it's like you know the first thing they want to do is put a black person in a directorial position for diversity and inclusion the next thing they want to do is talk about how do we um, change our uh, recruitment efforts so that uh, you know, we are diversifying the portfolio of candidates that we're interviewing.
0: Mm-hmm. Do
5: we then set up shop at more HBCUs? Are we going to more predominantly Black cities? Like, What is it that we're going to do so that we don't look like we represent a company that is not inclusive and not diverse? Mm-hmm. And all of this to me is Bullshit because I don't feel the fix is putting somebody, putting a black person in a directorial role mm-hmm. for diversity inclusion. The fix is not saying that, oh, we hired, you know, a thousand and ten black people in 2020. Mm-hmm. The fix is um why have you not done this in the first place? Thank and you. getting to the uh-huh. and getting to the bottom of, you know, for the S team in these corporations. It's, it's not okay to say that, oh, we're going to, we're our, our, one of our S-team goals is to make sure we have one black face in S-team mm-hmm. by the end of 2020. That's right. not the fix. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, because I'm sorry, like, I just don't feel that while, you know, I agree with you, Deshauna, that you know, maybe a, a black person in a DNI and i directorial role would be what I would resonate better with and say a white person, these organizations are predominantly white to begin with. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it is best that we have a white person in those roles, but at the end of the day, it's at a corporation level. And what I'm really bothered by is the fact that the corporation wants to jump into action to make themselves appear to be more diverse and inclusive, but not actually looking inward and looking at the people already within the corporation. Yeah, that's very true. And it's like, well, what are you doing with your current employees? Mm -hmm. Everybody's not going to be, you weren't a part of this organization probably a year ago or two years ago, and you're not going to be a part of this organization say a year from now or two years from now. Average tenure in tech companies now is somewhere around 18 months, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're not doing the work to actually understand the mindset of the people that you claim to be the best, you know, and to hire these people, If you're not doing that work inside of the, of the company of the people you currently have in house, then the issues is going to perpetuate. I mean, it it looks good for you to say that, yes, you know, we have a black face, not to be derogatory, but we have a black face, but then it's also one thing to show that you are genuinely diverse and inclusive. And that yeah. is my biggest hangup, even with being with everyone is so quick to jump into action to do something, but you don't even understand what you need to be actioning. Right. <laughs> right. No,
6: definitely. Um,
5: I, right. I'm
2: glad you, um, you said that, Bria. I'm, uh, I pulled up this um, uh, study that um, looked at tech companies because they made a pledge to um, increase diversity, and this was six years ago. Mm-hmm. And so um it's, I don't want to say all the names, we never know who's watching, but six years, <laughs> right? Six years after their Let it fly,
5: girl, let it fly. So. <laughs> six
2: years after their uh first diversity reports, blank 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 and blank 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 blank, blank have seen low single digit increases in their percentage of black employees. One company six years ago had three percent black employment and today six years later is 3.8 percent
5: in six years so it hasn't even moved
0: and so this is my other thing about this diversity (laughs) position is that Uh i feel like i don't necessarily think it needs to be a black person or a person of color because i feel like that's the position they always try to give a black person everybody Uh that i know everybody that i know well not everybody but a lot of people that i know who work at our company i don't know if we want to be saying the name or not but at our company the person, the people that I know in diversity inclusion positions are people of color. Mm -hmm. But when these people of color go into these positions and actually try to make change, there are people who are not people of color who are blocking the the, the strategies and the plans that they're trying to put in place to actually make a change. And so for me, I I do believe that it needs to be a white person who is actually invested in other groups of people and not just themselves to Mm -hmm. talk to white people. So then white people are more willing to accept what this person is bringing to them and help them even, I don't know, maybe bring experiences from their own life as to like, yeah, well I've also dealt with this type of systemic racism and I know it because I've seen it in my house or a family member or whatever, but this is how I found that those things were not the right way about going about things and then help the other people move along because some people don't wanna hear that they're wrong, especially from a person who they know they've been doing wrong. So mm-hmm. I think if they're hearing it from a white person who's actually here for the cause, then i think it will go further because i find that black people are always getting blocked in the corporate space every time they're actually trying
5: to move the needle yeah and that's what i feel like i definitely agree with that mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely I, I, mean, I feel like like a, a a white person in such a role although in you know kind of first perception say of the company's black employees it may be that rich like that kind of you know backlash of well why is a white person in this role yeah. you know when they can't speak for my experience for us as a people as a community but you got to understand that we're already in the minority anyway mm-hmm. so that dni person is really not speaking to you they're speaking on behalf of you but they're speaking to those who are the change makers and they don't look like us Mm-hmm. yeah that's right okay you guys now we're gonna fast forward a little
0: bit we were talking about childhood school age now let's fast forward to adulthood uh now like how does racism show up in your daily lives outside of work and then we're gonna go into work afterwards so outside of work going to the grocery store pumping your gas uh how does race show up in those situations for you guys
5: i don't know. you know i moved with my cause that's when i say company names although I've name dropped it several times already <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> with my current organization. You can clean it up here. Uh, but my current organization, I relocated to London uh, just over a year ago. And um, it's it's been challenging. It's been very challenging to say the least. This is that I have a mini Meghan Markle experience on a weekly basis being in London and uh you know it's it to me it's just it's astounding you know some of the things that people will say and will do the commentary um you know the microaggressions um you know i feel like i as a woman i've regressed in coming to 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 this to london and i hate to say it that way
0: Since we're uh, like spreading awareness, can you actually drop some of these microaggressions that have happened, like actually give the example so when people watch this, they
5: know what you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. So I know we weren't speaking specifically about work, but I mean, I moved here for work, right? So I think it's important for me to share, you know, kind of what what that looked like, because I know that some of these microaggressions that have happened to me while living in London Um, I have to believe in my heart, they wouldn't fly if I were still in America. Um, So being on the job, you know, um, one is, uh, you know, I purchased a, you know, half sip, you know, hoodie thing and I wore it to work with some jeans and some, you know, some trainers or some tennis shoes, as we say in the U.S., And, you know, I had a colleague of mine saying, oh, Bria, look at you. You're looking really gangster today. Um, Another one would be um, just within my first month of being on the job, I had a manager. You know how, you know, you're trying to get to know people on your team, right? So then, you know, they pull out their phone and they're flipping through pictures and like, oh, these are my children. And then stops on the younger you know, the, the youngest child and says, oh, and this one here, uh, you know, she's a dancer. And I said, oh, that's awesome. I said, you know, I used to dance as well. Like what, you know, style of dance does she do? Well, let's just say that her friends tell her that she's a black girl trapped in a white girl's body. Um, that same manager in a, different in, in a different setting, in an offsite setting, but still in a team setting, grabs my forearm and rubs my forearm and says, oh my gosh, your skin tone is so beautiful. How do I get mine that way? Um, I had a colleague who wore a a piece of apparel. It was a t-shirt. And I wore this t-shirt into the office uh, with a brand that reads Ski Mississippi across the top. And then the graphic was a, or is a uh, cotton field with a cotton gin in the background of it. And there is a white person skiing over the cotton field. Uh, I actually, I, I, I didn't say anything. Cause I, you know, I was, I do not know, you know, I was in my mind, I was about to go 5150 to be fair. But I excused myself, I went outside, and I got some air, and you know, took a moment, I come back in, and there were four others that were a part of the group, and they were lighting him up, like that's a very racist thing, you know, why would you even wear that shirt to work, let alone, you know, outside of work? And uh, I remember him saying, that uh i don't see me do anything wrong with this i don't you know it's just a brand it's just a t-shirt it's just a thing like what's the problem with it and i then had to further excuse myself to then go to the restrooms to collect myself and when i came out of the restroom he had left the pub he was gone you know so i mean that's just within the work setting you know, being out in the streets of London, there have been things that have been said and have been done. Um, You know, so it's, you know, I honestly feel that it's compounded more in London than it is, I would say, in my American corporate experience and American just kind of way of life uh, in general, right? Um, I constantly feel that I am, being asked to take people to the side to educate and to educate and to educate. And uh, even, especially in this time, right? Like again, you know, I'm the only Black American person in all of UK and
1: Ireland. And so I'm being looked to, to well, tell us your experiences and what can we do better?
5: Um, But to be fair, I feel like uh, that, piece is still very reactionary it's very like because we feel like we need to do better tell us how we can do better but a year ago when these things were transpiring no one was coming to me saying well it seemed as if you didn't really like that comment that i said why you know and so only only now is it that you know my white colleagues are turning into me and wanting to understand, but I'm not really fucking with it, because whatever it takes for you to feel better at the end of the day, that's what you're coming to me with. That's the request, right? I'm not going to give you your marching orders. You have to look inward, figure out, have you really done the work? Like, we're all degrees of separation here, Either you're guilty of making comments and doing things and actions that have dampened and hampered the black community, or you know someone, you've been in the company of someone who has done something and said something to dampen and hamper the black community, or you know someone who knows someone. It's all degrees of separation. So I'm not really here for uh, let's you know let's kick it into gear and let's make change today. I'm more so about. When you told me I looked really gangster, you clearly didn't have any sort of reference. Because for me, as someone who has been a part of the Black Lives Matters movement since 2013, which originated out of Trayvon Martin, who was wearing a hoodie, who was gunned down because he looked suspicious, for you to then go and say that, oh, well, you're looking very gangster. Clearly, you don't connect the dots in all of this. And you don't really care to connect the dots. You only care today because you feel like you need to do something because that's the right thing to do.
0: Right.
4: Because of the
5: social
0: climate. Now they feel like they need to to get into action. But uh, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, they're not even about to be worried about it.
5: that's my thing about these corporations. Like, you know, I'm all for, you know, it's like donating to certain organizations, although I do question some of the organizations they're donating to. That's another story for the day. But, you know, it's like these organizations they're donating to. I've had white colleagues come to me in recent weeks saying I'm raising, I'm fundraising for these organizations. And... I've been on the protest lines, and I've been out here marching, and Black Lives Matters, all lives won't matter until Black Lives Matter. I am doing my part. But I guarantee you, I can put every paycheck and stock option I have within my current company today Mm -hmm. to say six months from now when this dust has settled, this will be a distant memory. Exactly, and I say this in you know the words of the late great, beautiful Nipsey hustle The marathon continues. It's a marathon, not a sprint. So if you're not here for the marathon, I'm not really fucking with it. I'm sorry. I don't care what you feel like you you know you're doing today, because the, although it's great, the contribution you're doing today doesn't have longevity.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: Right. Well, I feel like people have been real
6: quick lately to post about oh I gave to I donated to all these organizations or I did all this and all that but I'm like you don't really ever see black people posting saying oh I donated to this white restaurant or this white clothing store because no one cares about that small contribution it's true like it's what you're gonna do longevity like Mm -hmm. this is not new what's going on but yet people really want to be like I see you. I hear you. These celebrities are posting these videos. I see you. I hear you. I won't be silent. Don't Mm -hmm. tell me what you won't be silent. Let me just keep seeing what you're doing action. It's just been so frustrating to see all these friends posting about the movie 13 and being like, oh gosh, it was so powerful. Not Um, even knowing
5: that, that was. Three years ago. Yeah, that day exactly. happen. Four years ago. This it was, is not new.
6: It was three years ago. And the information that it talked about was even longer ago. This, you know, prison the pipeline thing is not new. The crack right. cocaine versus powder cocaine cocaine is not new. You know, it it brought some great information to light, which is true and I agree with that. But what it brought to light is not new information. So you should be really angry that your parents didn't educate you about this. That's what you should be mad about and posting and being like, dang, mom, dang, dad, why didn't you tell me? Or why didn't our schools tell us? Why didn't society tell us? You know, because this information in that documentary was not new. But people wanted to post about it like it just came out and I like that was like every time I saw that I was like I can't even get behind it I was just like not wow. gonna like it not gonna be glad that you finally decide to educate yourself today because like you should have if- already done that
0: and have they actually educated themselves or did yeah. they just watch the movie and now they feel like Why? they and if- they're educated because the True. whole I see you thing and True. I see you and I hear you do you no. see me
3: how would you just know all of a sudden
0: start seeing me and if you saw me why did this even happen in the first place oh Mm -hmm. but we got to rewind you guys because we kind of jumped back into work and we didn't talk Mm -hmm. about how um (laughs) race shows up in our everyday life i'll give an example because this just happened yesterday so me and my husband we live in a, a white area a very rich white area And when we come out of our apartment, depending on who sees us coming out of the apartment, these people will run across the street to to go down the hill, to go to their car, to the trash or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, we came out to go to our car. They were coming down steps from where their apartment is, but they would have to cross us. In order for them to go down the hill where they were going and for us to get in our car and so instead of them going down the steps that are made for people to walk down they walked behind bushes down a trail (laughs) so they didn't have to stand next to us because we were getting in our car and our car was by the stairwell where they were coming down from their apartment that's crazy And so I would say that's how uh, Ray shows up over here all the time, like, and, and, and what is crazy is that we go on walks sometimes, and there's a trail that's back here, and people are always looking, they're always staring, they're either staring or the white people are smiling really big because they're scared to death, so, you know, mm-hmm. we scare, we, uh, we smile back, so we're not scaring them. <laughs> 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 like, the, other, uh, the other week, we went on a walk, and this older white woman literally walked around an entire tree over into the road instead of staying on the sidewalk with us. <laughs> <And this laughs> path, the path that she's talking about is not a small sidewalk. It's not it's skinny. It's, it's like very five wide. People to yeah. be able to walk
1: side by the- side.
0: Yeah. Right. And so this woman went around a tree into the street, so she didn't have to walk mm-hmm. next to us on on the sidewalk. Um, mm-hmm. Don't have any issues really in the grocery store, but I think that's because they're used to seeing us now because we've been living here for four years. Mm-hmm. uh the people speak people say hi but like it's mainly in our apartment complex where people will see us mm-hmm. walking and they'll stop and they'll watch to see if we like actually live in the building to to go in a building and mm-hmm. stuff like that mm-hmm. um yeah, I would say that's like a that's a, a regular thing. Or sometimes people will be coming up the street and we know we're gonna have to cross them to go into where our building is. And sometimes I just tell my husband, wait, those people are walking up the street, let them go so we don't have to do a dance or a mm-hmm. you know, they're doing this kind of like <laughs> they don't know if they wanna keep walking or not. So I'm like, Okay, I don't want to do the dance today. Let's just stand mm-hmm. right here, let them walk so then we can walk mm-hmm. in our apartment like a normal person. Or we mm-hmm. or sometimes my husband tries to even go the extra mile to say hi, like make I contact and say and speak because we see some of these people all the time and they still just don't want to speak and Mm so he will on purpose try to make eye contact to say hello and they will Mm -hmm. do everything in their power to not even look at you look at the ground act like they have headphones on and can't see anything you can think (laughs) to avoid eye contact or to not say hello i sometimes tell them if
2: you're gonna stare at least speak
1: Mm. (laughs) right right.
2: now do you all uh, i just thought about this uh since we are having to wear masks do you all think that people uh treat you differently or
0: well i could say i could say in some of these situations i'm like oh i guess i can give them a pass but like this was this this was happening before people had to start putting masks on Mm -hmm. and that's how Mm -hmm. i know that this is a race issue and it is not a covid19 issue
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right right you're right
0: We've been here for four years. You've been doing mm-hmm. this shit for the last four years. So now, all of a sudden, COVID. I'm gonna say, oh no, it's not race. It's just, it's just COVID. <laughs> people are, people are afraid to get sick. No, they've been afraid to get sick for four years. Then, mm-hmm. because this has <laughs> been the same situation for the last four years of living here. Mm-hmm. And oh, you know what I will say? We don't get it really from our our white neighbors. It's like Asian people more than white. Yes. Like the Asian people are trying yeah. to go overboard, and I see mm-hmm. white people doing it, but the white people do do it it's just in a different different way like oh hey how's it going you know asking a lot of questions to see if you actually live around here and, and mm-hmm. you know things of that sort Kinda whereas asian lazy. people right whereas the mm-hmm. asian people just uh be fearful overtly fearful mm-hmm. and i'm gonna go in the bushes instead of walking downstairs mm-hmm. like a normal person mm-hmm. right. how else does race show up in you guys lives in the store out and about walking around if you have kids with your kids
5: i tell a, a quick story. I, I come to, to, to London and I don't own a vehicle. And so I'm thinking like, oh, that's going to help a lot because a lot of the times where I've been stopped have been because I've been with my more than likely black boyfriend at the time in a vehicle, in a nice vehicle and stopped and, you know, Asked to like blow or take a field sobriety test and all this, right? So I come to London. I'm thinking, okay, you know, that's behind me. Um, I should be good. I should be good as far as you know, no interactions with police and all of this. And so, funny story. I was actually walking from my flat, from my apartment, to a local convenience store. And as I was walking back to my flat, I saw the police drive past me. And uh, then I heard them like put on their siren and they said, you know, stop, you know, you stop. And I didn't even have to turn around. I just knew they were speaking to me. So like I put my bag down on the ground and I did this and I stopped and then I didn't hear anybody kind of get out the car or approach me so I let like maybe a few seconds go by and I turn around and they're actually speaking to the white man it's a white guy who was like pretty close to me walking behind me and I had to check myself I'm like I'm so accustomed to the fact that I'm always going to be the one that is in some shit, right? I'm No matter what, whether I'm into it or not, I'm always going to be the one that's profiled as such. It never ever in a million years in my 34 years of existence dawned on me that this same thing does in fact happen to white people. And it wasn't until that moment where I actually physically, I set my bag down. I was like, And I turn around and they're actually trying to get the attention of the white guy that's been walking behind me for the last, you know, minute or so. I'm like, wow. Like I got to untrain some things. It's crazy. That is crazy. (laughs) I would, I would say that what does that,
2: that clearly um, affects your, your mental health though and how how you you feel because that that's a traumatic experience and um and because you have received it so much and then all of us it's happened to you it happened to us so much that it it does affect our our psyche and then uh, how what do we do now with those those feelings so, so that um it doesn't continue to fester and internalize within us where it begins to harm our bodies mm-hmm. and um, and harms how we um, interact with people and you know people don't get to see the um, the light that was you know in our lives before and the the uh, the care and the concern that we lose that when um, when it when racism affects our our um our mental health yeah
3: Yeah. it's like ptsd
2: yes yes exactly
0: that's for
2: sure
6: (laughs)
3: so do you guys code
0: switch at work uh no (laughs) oh why don't you so you said no why don't you code switch at work i don't need to
4: if you don't like how i am then i don't know what you need to do but i'm not about to be anybody but me however when i was in the military i did have to do that the military is super racist
1: oh Um, sorry
4: for example me being in just like the basic training part like they have this book you have to read of all the codes and conducts and all this stuff um i had twisted my hair while i was in basic training and basically i got in trouble Because that was out of regulation to have braids in your hair
5: so i
4: like so okay when i first got to basic training i had micro braids in my hair and the micro braids had um two different colors in it like a couple strands of like a brown blonde color so i had to take my hair down while i was in basic training because that was out of regulations however there was white girls in there that had um, blonde streaks in their hair, Asian girls in there that had blonde streaks in their hair, they didn't have to dye their hair while they were there, so why did I have to take my braids down? I don't get it. And then when I get a uh, graduate from basic training and I go to tech school, which is like the college part before you go to your job, um, I would get in trouble because of my hair was out of regs again. All the time, Black people are getting in trouble because their hair is out of regs in the military. So the regulation says your hair can't be more than three inches out from your head. So I Bantu knotted my hair down so that when I wear my Afro, it will be this small. And I still got in trouble. I was like, you can put a ruler in my hair. It's in rigs. It says it can't be more than three inches from your head. So I had um, a Filipino teacher and he takes me to the black lady who has natural hair. That's she's already in the military, but she's also a teacher. And she has her hair in a puff, and her puff is way bigger, but, you know, she's active duty. She's already in and all of that. And they take me to her for her to check my hair to see if it's in regs. Like, it's either in regs or it's not. Read it. It says it on the paper, but since it's an afro, they need to check if my hair was in regs. And then, also while I was in tech school, the same teacher, he takes me to another black lady to talk about how I talk. The way I talk is too, whatever I don't know. But then so she's in there like, yeah. So when I first got in the military, I had to you know change the way I talked and you know so people won't feel offended. And I was like, bitch, I don't give a fuck what you had to do. I'm not gonna start. Oh, how are you to make somebody feel comfortable? Like I'm <laughs> saying regular stuff that everybody else is saying. Why is it uncomfortable when I'm saying it? I'm not gonna change the way I talk. I don't care. And Basically, moved on from there. Once I got to my station, I was a reservist, so I only had to go once a month. But I continually got in trouble for my hair being out of regs almost every weekend that I had to go do drill. So now, up to here, to date, now they allow people to have dreads and stuff in the military. So I think my hair would probably be okay. But that was like a rule that you cannot have dreads that's out of regs. And the reason is because it was unkempt. Oh, that's the word they kept using. Yeah, your hair is unkempt. But when my hair is in a nappy ass ponytail, (laughs) nobody says nothing. (laughs) If it's like this with no gel on it, it's great. Like, yeah, you no. You get in trouble (laughs) if your hair is done, if it's below your collar, like, it was just ridiculous. Anyway, and then, in my job now, I drive, if you don't know, these amazon people are the worst the tech company people let me say all of them but mostly amazon they're the worst racist people that get on the bus so when i worked in the morning i would be i always did it on purpose because i knew they didn't (laughs) want to talk (laughs) but i'll be like good morning good morning." they'll be getting in the bus like this trying to look down at the floor like so they don't have to make eye contact and say good morning I just kept doing it every fucking morning um they're rude they're the most disrespectful people and they they have this entitlement like you have to let them get on the bus you oh, no, i, I, I mentioned really? that they're white or indians there they we go I we gotta better. profile
5: mm. these people Profile okay, these so you can't just be like all amazonians are the devil you know? uh these tech profile company people that me. are white there
6: they're
4: we white go and majority indian people mm-hmm. They do not speak and they're rude. And um, there's even instances where like non-Amazon people that I had to drive out to like Woodenville and stuff, they don't want to get on the bus, like they'll look in the bus and see that it's the black bus driver. Oh, I'm gonna wait for the next one. I don't care. You can wait two hours and get on the next one. Cause mm-hmm. I really don't care. I drop them off and go home. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's like ridiculous. People who are not Seattle natives are ridiculous.
2: <laughs> Wait a minute.
5: <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> no. That's but, another dig right there. <laughs> we're going to let that one we'll go. We're going to let that one we'll we'll go. go. We're going to move along. Let's move but along.
4: Yeah. So, yeah, those are my, my experiences with uh, how people think I'm supposed to assimilate in the military and then also working, driving the bus. Um, these folks be talking crazy like you're in a wheelchair and you want me to help you get on the bus but you're trying to talk to me like I'm your slave like you're not getting on my bus So, and then also the trainer they show these videos of things that happen and how you should have reacted so there was like this black bus driver female um, open the door and it's this white lady out there that be calling her a nigger and the girl told her <laughs> The girl told her, "No, nah, don't get on my bus. The Last time you called me a nigger, and closed the door, and drove off." And then the teacher goes, "Well, so do you think she should have reacted like that?" I'm like, "I'm looking around, like, yeah, yeah." <laughs> but and then he, he's Mexican, by the way, who's saying this story? He played it smooth. She,
5: you got the best reaction out of her because right. it could have been a hell of a lot worse, right? Exactly. So
4: he's like, "Yeah, that for someone calling you a name." It's not that serious for Nah, Mm -hmm. bruh. Mm -mm. That's how it is. is. But but you're in the training department Mm -hmm. saying that. Mm -hmm. And then another trainer who's from Fiji, he's talking about somebody got on talking about what up in, but he's an in. I don't know if he was trying to be racist or what, but his skin is browner than mine. So I don't know, but I'm looking like, do you not hear what you just said? Yeah, you know, some people get on and, yeah, they say, what's up, N, but he's an N. No. Do you mean he's Black?
6: Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. So, yeah, those are
2: some
6: of the experiences. This I area
2: had. is the worst. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah,
6: I mean, like, with that training stuff like you're pointing out, I'm just like, that's like, that's a cliche thing for someone to say who just doesn't get it.
5: <laughs> right. I'm like, well, oh, who well, doesn't care. No, yeah. Doesn't
6: doesn't, care. Doesn't care. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like one oh, of the yeah, because it's like, oh well she, you know, probably shouldn't have uh no, that person probably shouldn't have said that word. Right. I don't care want to say if it, it's just now a word. She... It's derogatory, it's wrong, it's insulting, I don't care who you are, and I don't and definitely don't come in here trying to defend it by saying, Oh, well other black people say it to each other. I don't care. that doesn't make it better for a white person to then say it just because they're like oh well black people say it to each other no you cannot come with no argument defending my actions or being like no catch the second bus then Thank thank you that's what that's what it's gonna be i'm not gonna curse them out you saw in the video i did not curse them out so great we're gonna go about our day you just saw me say thank you have a good day close the door right customer service a (laughs) hundred percent there we go okay is nah
0: yeah and i think it's just also dismissive too yeah if if you're being called a name you know it's like this is not just a name
4: am i the only one hearing this and we're majority black people like Mm -hmm. unless you're at the bases, like out at bellevue majority of the people you see in your building are black are black Mm -hmm. drivers majority of the drivers are black so for you to say uh, that's just a word boy bye was right like, and that
0: shows you how much they don't even actually care about diversity or diversity training because they dismiss uh racial slurs as uh, being called a name and then mm-hmm. tell you but you still need to give somebody good customer service
2: um, absolutely <laughs> <Right>. not because <laughs> that's that's threatening that right. is a, that's a threat and if someone if someone says they're going to rape you would you let them get on your bus? No. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
5: saying that saying
2: someone's going to rape you, that's a threat. I'm not going to let you get on my bus. Right. I'm zooming past you and I'm going to report you to the police. No, right. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, uh, Do do any oh, of you guys have uh, examples of code switching at work?
6: I would say, I, I mean, I think sometimes it's been intentional and other times it hasn't been as far as my code switching. um. Because I think some of it just comes off that I've been told at times, oh, you know, you speak very, people tell me I speak very white, you know, um, and I mean, I attribute that some to honestly, just frankly, how I was raised. <laughs> I mean, I was raised in a white household. Um, not to say that I wasn't, I mean, I have an open adoption, so I am around my birth family. But um, I think sometimes because I do speak the way that I speak, it will automatically just be assumed like, oh, okay, you know, she's this kind of woman or, you know, she, she does this kind of thing. And, and then people will see, Oh no. Okay. Like maybe we like judged her too quickly. Um, and working in foster care, a lot of it's like dealing with attorneys, dealing with judges, you know, very legal in a sense. Um, so I think to an extent, some of that, like I will maybe try to a little bit to appease, but when I'm working with my caregivers, you know, and my foster parents like I'm very quick to tell them, because 'cause I'll let them know point blank. I said, at the end of the day, you are a white person. And if they do happen to have a trans special placement, I'll be like your child is black or your child is Hispanic, you know, you know, what have you for the child placement. But I will say, like, no matter what you do, you can't do enough. So you have to make sure that your child is around other people who look like them, both children and adults um and i know i think sometimes people will be like oh you know maybe you need to like kind of be like hand holding with things and i'm like no i'm like i'm not going to hand hold anybody because it doesn't help a child at the end of the day for me race was a huge conversation that happened in my house so i'm very fortunate and lucky about that but i know that it's not the same case for everybody and i think parents sometimes get this like mindset of like oh i'm a parent so let me just provide my child with a loving safe home and that's definitely not enough, especially if it's, if you are of a different race, like no, it's not enough to just provide a loving and safe home and think that you're doing what you're doing or to depend on your schools because people's schools and people's neighborhoods are sure as heck not as diverse as everyone wants to say or believe that they are. Um, and so, I mean, I definitely, like I said, probably sometimes I'm unconscious about it, And I think that's been a blessing and a curse because people have gotten to thinking like, oh, she's one way and oh, we can say, you know, not that people are around me saying like racist, derogatory things constantly, not by any means. Is that what I'm saying? But I think people sometimes like will think, oh, it's just fine to say this, you know, when it's not going to be an issue. And then when I'm like, oh, no, it is an issue, people get caught off guard because I've definitely seen a change in my coworkers to how they uh, talked to me recently to how it used to be um one of my coworkers has gotten real silent recently like we used to you know message check in just say hi whatever and she like doesn't say anything to me but I think it's because people have seen the shift and that I'm like no if you guys want to say these things like you need to be about it like when I'm on these meetings I'm calling people out not necessarily personally to them but I'm saying oh I heard this was something we talked about is this still happening or is it not? Um, like, I definitely feel like I'm doing, you know, finding myself doing that. Um, and, and I've definitely like walked away from like work days, although I am working like remotely feeling like, Ooh, I think people are probably looking at me as like, potentially she's kind of like the angry black woman, which is just such a weird thing. But I'm like, I mean, I'm not saying that like, I don't know. It's a true like perception that people get sometimes, but it's just been like, I feel like people have been like real quick to also, I feel like. Um, over speak me like I'll say something and I've just been super hypersensitive and aware of being like I said this same thing that so did this white person and then it's like oh that's a good idea but I'm like I know I said that exact same thing like I feel like what I said is the same and mine was like oh yeah uh uh-huh we'll think about it but then when this other person said it it's like oh great idea yeah let's add that to the list let's write that down and I'm just like, do you hear that? You know, do you see it? And I think people don't, you know, but it's defi- there's definitely been a tension of, like, hypersensitivity, like, at the workplace and just around, I don't know, just, like, how things are. And I guess, like, it's, I feel like it's become clearer than ever just how also it's like, yeah, you can say something. You all can say the same exact thing. But if it's not, like, if you don't have the same, you know, skin tone as me, then I'm not maybe going to listen to listen as intently to what you're saying. Yeah, so that made me think of this
0: article that I was reading about pet To threat, have you guys heard of this? Like, uh, you start off in the corporate setting, and you come in, and because you're code switching, you're like, "Oh yeah, hey, whatever," you know, trying to appease people so you're not offending or uh, scaring or whatever the case is at work. It starts off as good, and they see you, "Oh, this is a really hardworking person. She always gets stuff done." And then once you start uh, pointing out certain things like people not delivering on things that they were supposed to, or not holding up their end on a project that you guys are working on together, then all of a sudden you turn to the threat at work, and not actually the person that mm-hmm. they just like the black person in the corner who just gets stuff done. You turn to this threat, and then you start having a bunch of microaggressions against you, or all of a sudden you're not performing, and then you're trying to be managed out of the company at that point. Um, have you guys heard of this this uh, concept, pet the, to threat at work? Right.
5: Girl, Bria, girl, (laughs) you (laughs) clearly I've heard of this concept. Uh, you know, I've been through it, I'm going through it at the moment. Where, um, in my gut, I kind of feel like the business is trying to manage me out the door. You know, Mm -hmm. if if I had to sit back and ask my, you know, white managers, like, you know what is your take on me they would turn around and say you're pretty uh aggressive you're pretty Mm -hmm. you know and you're a rebel rouser you are a whistleblower and it's for the sheer fact that um you're asking me to uphold standards that no one else on the team is meeting Mm -hmm. right so now i almost feel like i'm like a case study right I almost feel like you're using me to unveil some gaps and some, you know, that challenges that need to be, you know, made across the wider team, so that you then, as a corporation, can then go back and uh, fix these things, right? But at the same time, I am the one that's at 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 expense of all of this, right? And so now I'm feeling like I'm very disposable. To this company all the while though while you're making me bend over backwards to achieve things that really are not realistic and i'm calling out the fact that nobody is delivering on these standards uh, you're using that data that information to say that okay here are the areas that we need to improve upon while really not considering me as an employee and saying that okay you know while we're using this data while you know she is outspoken and we you know it may it may sting a little bit you know it may hurt um, we're going to be better as a wider business because of the things that she was not afraid to you know come to the table with and expose but all the while you're sitting back really kind of managing me out of the business I may not be present for much longer in this corporation, Mm -hmm. but yet you will continue to thrive and thrive better than Mm -hmm. ever before because of the fact that you you basically use me based on your budget. comp yeah based on your mm-hmm.
0: contributions use those mm-hmm. so they can make more money meanwhile they just removed you from the mm-hmm. company or or they don't promote you or whatever the case mm-hmm. may be after they've stolen your ideas and gave, yes. and gave it to yes. somebody
2: else yes. now that yeah. person
0: is promoted and then you're sitting here like okay so now i'm doing level x work but i'm getting yes. paid as a, as a so-and-so yeah, Meanwhile, yeah. this person who hasn't been doing shit but skating and stealing ideas and acting like they're theirs, they now are making way more
2: money than I am.
5: But then, because but then, but the part and they look the, the part bit. right, you
2: gotta get out. <laughs> so, you gotta get out, honestly, goodness, because it's not good for your mental health. You have get get no, out.
0: So, speaking of health, Alicia, <laughs> uh,
2: yes.
0: each person, how do you guys think? uh these things the images that you've seen the racism that you've experienced that you experience on a daily basis um how do you guys think that that is manifested uh mentally psychologically physically because i do know that outside of the mental enslavement that a lot of people are in because you are still kind of shackled to these things if you have to go to work and code switch in order to even bring your paycheck home um how do you think that is like affects you overall in your mental space like
2: It's a, it's a mental, it's a mental blocker of, um, of our potential, of of our God-given potential. Hey
0: Melanated fam, I wanted to create the sidebar as the ladies and I went off on a little tangent and talked more about ways in which you can help maintain a healthy mental space, but not so much how our experiences have manifested in the mind and body. So I jotted down some notes here to share since I believe this is a very important topic and shouldn't be grazed over. Um, and these are just going to be some of my own experiences um, and things that I've recognized have manifested in me uh, based off of the uh, racial injustices I've experienced in my life. Um, I also took some notes on. Um, the things that ladies were saying that made sense to go with this topic, uh, that we talked about when we went off on our tangent. So I just want to share some of those with you. Um, so the first thing that Alicia mentioned was that, um, constantly being beat down turns into a mental blocker, um, of our potential and I believe that to be the case. Um, There are a lot of times where, especially in this time, uh, with the social climate and things going on with Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, um, I found it very hard to focus on my work, get my work done, be productive. And so when you're constantly thinking about your safety, you can't really think about anything else, especially when it's super prevalent. Um, another thing that I would mention is exhaustion. Bria uh, b- brought this up while we were talking, and she just talked about how she recently needed to take about two weeks off of work and just come back to, so she could come back to be her full, whole self. And um, one thing that she mentioned that um, you should do is be unapologetic about having to take time uh, to get back to yourself. Um, Another thing that I would say is a very real thing for me is living in fear. I live in fear every day. Um, I'm very cautious about where I go, what time I go there. Um, And an example That came up recently was my husband was saying, Well, you know, we need to take a break. Maybe we should go out to the cabin. Go out to a cabin, relax, be by the water, be in the mountains. And with all that's going on, I told him, That sounds great and I would love to do that. But at the same time, I'm not willing to risk. Our lives going out to a cabin because we're going there to decompress. But when you go out to the cabins, you're going out to outskirts, which means you're going out to areas where there are more white people. And I'm afraid to go to these places, especially during this time, because I feel that will be targeted. So, something as simple as wanting to go to a cabin, we can't do, or we could, but at the same time, don't feel safe doing so. So, that's something. That um, has been an issue for me at the moment is my safety. Um, I would also say, when it comes to kids, I live in fear of having kids. I don't know if I want to have kids because I don't know what people, what someone might do to my kid. Um, and even before like what someone might do to my kid, I'm afraid that I may not even make it out of the hospital uh, because black women lose their lives at a higher rate than every other um, race of women in the emergency room or when they're delivering babies because doctors fail to believe that they're in pain or whatever the case may be, Um, I'm fearful of doctors to the point where I don't know if I would even decide or have a kid because maybe the kid will make it here, but I won't make it out of the hospital. I won't be able to go home with my kid because of the racial injustice that are seen within these hospital walls. Um, another way that I feel that I've seen in um, myself when I was a little bit younger and in a lot of people still to this day is that um, it manifests in a way of accepting exploitation or abuse. And so I will say, as a black woman and not a light-skinned black woman, at one point in time, around eighteen, nineteen, meeting all these fuckboys and knowing that they're that, and that I feel like I deserve something better, but at the same time. Since I'm not light skinned, I know what, what comes with that as well. And so it's dealing with people who treat you like shit, but you're like, well, I guess I have to deal with it because this is all I'm gonna get. So if I wanna be in a relationship, I guess this is what I'm gonna get because I'm black. Um, and so I see a lot of women accepting abuse within relationships because they don't think that they're good enough. And not think they're good enough comes from being beat down since you were a child. Especially if you are brown skin or if you are dark skin, especially if you are dark skin, that is the first thing and the main thing that someone is always teasing you about. So once you become an adult, you're like, okay, well, I guess I I'll get what I can get. Um, and I'm not saying that's true for everybody, that but that's been true for me. Um, a very s- small period of time where I allowed these type of things to happen, and I'm like, nah, fuck that. Like, but in general. um being taught to accept exploitation and abuse um, in any relationship, whether it's a romantic relationship or not. um, I see um, racial injustice uh, manifest that way. Um, I would also say that anger and violence comes up. um, And this is in a way where if you're constantly being beat down, you become hopeless and... You find things to cope and these are usually alcohol or drugs and sometimes these things lead to violence. Or I would say from the anger point of view it's constantly being demeaned and once it happens over and over and over again you might just meet that one person who says something and you go the fuck off like, and it's not even a second thought. In other people view that as, okay, you're just popping off, you're crazy, you have anger issues, but not realizing this has happened to you 50 times before this person just did the 51st time, and that's why you're reacting. Um, Another thing um, that I have listed here is being skeptical and fearful of doctors, so in addition to an OBGYN or delivering a baby, doctors in general, like, some of them you can tell, they just are uncomfortable seeing you even in their their, uh, doctor's office when they come in. Um, I've had that experience here when I had to switch doctors when I moved north. Um, And then also just become skeptical of the things that they're recommending or not recommending. Um, because there is an entire history of medical apartheid, in a sense, if that's what you want to call it. And um, it's a, it was, and I think still is, a very real thing. Um, and so just being skeptical and fearful, fearful of doctors, doctors' orders, um, what they're going to do to you, or what they will skip over because they don't care for your health as much as they say they do your health is different than maybe a white person's health and so yeah that's another thing and a huge thing I would say is being okay with death and I would say I see this um, more in men but it's a huge thing to be like oh yeah I made it to 21 you know so I'm good like a lot of people don't expect to live past a, a certain age And um, after you become accustomed to being talked to like shit, being demeaned, being beat up uh, mentally, physically, being assaulted by people who are supposed to be, people in power who are supposed to protect you, um, a lot of people just become okay with the idea of death than being here because what could be worse than what they have to live in on a daily basis. And so those are just a few things that um, I jotted down and wanted to share about how um, growing up black or living in a black body and dealing with racial injustice on a daily basis can uh, manifest uh, mentally, physically. And physically from this, I would say, just leading unhealthy lifestyles that lead to certain um, medical diagnosis, um, eating unhealthy, diabetes, hypertension, you guys know this list, you hear it all the time. But these are ways in which uh, these things manifest in the mind and body. And so while the ladies and I were talking, um, some examples of ways you can make sure you are mentally healthy We talked about going to see a counselor or a therapist, and um, Alicia mentioned you could even do this uh, through an online um, medium. So in person or online, I have seen a counselor, uh, my husband and I have gone to a marriage counselor before getting married. Um, And so I'm a huge advocate for counseling, but I do also know that um, I'm speaking from a place of privilege uh, because we specifically wanted to go to a person of color. And um, there was no one within our health care where we could use our insurance um, and go see who was the person of color. And so we decided to go outside of that and pay out of pocket to ensure that we got the experience that we wanted to. And so, but we've also seen options as cheap as 30 to 50 bucks a session. And so that is also something that you can try out if you're wanting to fill out therapy, um, go that route, find something cheaper, go in see if they can help give you some coping mechanisms that work with your personality, how you see things, how you view things. Um, and then go from there. Um, I mentioned journaling to the ladies because I write a lot. I have since I was in elementary school, just had journals and stuff like that, and I've continued to do it through my adult life. And I feel like that's helped me a lot um, expressing my feelings, getting out, you know, certain frustrations from the day, um, also keeping me centered and just focused. On the things that I want to do and where I'm trying to go. Um, Massages, um, acupuncture, taking a walk regularly, exercising regularly, and a huge thing I think is just being cognizant of what you're consuming, what you're putting in your body. So that goes from the things you eat, um, things you drink, whether this is a bunch of soda, water, alcohol, let's err on the side of more water <laughs> than the other, um, TV, so things that you're watching is also part of your consumption. Be leery of those things because they do start to seep into your daily life and how you think about things, but also say the things that you read. So... Those are just a list of things that I wanted to share to make sure we addressed um, how social injustice and being Black in America manifests in the mind and the body and uh, ways you can start to break those things down so you can become a more healthy person, healthy you. Thanks, you guys. So in closing, you guys, everybody, 20, 30 seconds. After this entire conversation, what do you guys have to say to the people who make statements like, are you sure that was a race thing or everything isn't about race? This is not about race. Like, why do you guys keep bringing up race? What do you have to say to those people?
2: Repent. That's all I got to (laughs) say. Repent. You're so lucky that it's not about race for you. (laughs)
0: That's
6: what I would say. I I say yes my opinion stands.
1: I would say people need to be doing a lot more listening. Mhm. I think You're they
3: Andrea? need to be in a, oh. a mind of ahead. understanding. I was like I just think they need to put themselves in a mind of understanding because you have to figure you don't know unless you understand and actually go out and Put yourself out there to be uncomfortable, to learn the things that we are complaining about. Nobody's complaining about things if it's not happening. So just understanding.
4: I would say that they don't have the right to make that comment, (laughs) period. Like, you can't tell me what's race for me. For Mm -hmm. me, this is my experience. So you can't tell me, no, it's not a race thing. How do you know? That's how I felt. You can't tell me I don't feel that way. So you need to pay attention and listen and don't make comments like that. Cause you sound crazy.
0: And I would just say that I don't even believe the people who say, are you sure this is about race? Cause it's usually a white person who's saying it and bitch, yes. you're the one who created this system of racism. So yes, bitch, you <laughs> know, it's about race. You know that you or your family or somebody that, you know, has done something like this and it has been about race and so black people wouldn't have to even think it was a race issue if you never created the system in the first place that's what i would have to say you know it's about race. Is watching this is just my opinion but i don't believe racism is a black issue it is a white issue they created it if you're so superior why do you have to continue to make systems upon system on top of system in order to make yourself feel superior if you were superior you would just be that Without, without having to oppress other people. So you need to do some inner work, black people, practice group economics, please. Yes. Um, yes. The only way that they will. Understand. thank you guys for sitting in on this session. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think it
1: was gonna be almost two and a half hours, but it was good. Yeah. We're gonna have to uh, play it off real quick. So in the beginning, I wasn't—I re- didn't have—I uh, hadn't pushed the record button when I said like, "Hi guys, welcome to the Millennial Discussion." So let's do it over, and then I'm gonna ask the same first question,
0: and then you guys just do your response. So I'll have the clip. So the first question that I asked you guys was, "Oh, here it is." So I said, "Welcome everybody to the Millennial Panel Discussion. Today we're gonna be covering the Black perspective, the Black American perspective in America, and so let's just jump right into it. Um, it's race an issue in the U.S.
1: Yes, 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 yes. yes.
0: of course. Okay, got it. <laughs> 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 Try now. It shows you as unmuted now." See if we can hear you. Speak, speak, jack Can she?
4: I was gonna say, can she hear you? Cause she ain't talking. <laughs>
6: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she hears us. you, said you gonna I don't think, in think so out. either.
5: Put it yeah, in the I can. Chat. I can cut it. Okay, well, I'm gonna go ahead and fill my glass real quick. While she tries to she? <laughs> okay, you yeah, y'all, y'all tripping? It's eight forty-two over here on a Saturday. Y'all tripping? Whatever. It's no quarantine. Act, where act, you act, are you going? Y'all no no like don't let this Versace blouse fool y'all now. I'm about to. Pour it
4: up. <laughs> yeah, that that's for the uh, intro.
6: <laughs> so i'm gonna not hold anything back because i was like hey if you want
4: to be about all
5: the support i'm not to call you out so, yeah, this, anyway so, hey, i'm guys, trying to help y'all out i'm trying to help y'all realize y'all feel. right one poor white person sends me a screenshot a text message an email a voice memo or picks up the phone and calls me and says you know what bria
1: I just watch the hell.
3: What? Oh, god. oh my god! <laughs> if I <hear> one more, <laughs> it's just like he's like the person that has like I have a black friend. He's like one of those. Mm-hmm. I have a black friend, so I I feel like I'm I'm I I I know and I understand you guys. But he always says like crazy stuff and everybody. looks well, if you
4: knew no, you wouldn't be saying what you're saying exactly. and i'm sure he says more <laughs> crazy stuff and be like oh this
0: is not racist like if you
4: have yeah. to say this is
0: not racist then this is racist This conversation. he thought he was jumping to action and doing the right thing <laughs> by saying hey it's not segregated here but i just want to let you know like it feels a little weird that the blacks are in the front <laughs> and the whites <laughs> are in the back mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> just like okay <laughs>